0: doing this morning? Good. All three of you out there are doing good this morning. All right, come on. How are we doing this morning? There we go. That will end soon. We're talking about marriage, so uh, you may not be that excited in a little while uh, for us married folk. Uh, Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. Thank you for taking uh, your time out this morning, making an effort to be here Uh, If you're visiting with us, we are delighted that you chose to come uh, this morning. Um, And we're in a series on uh, biblical manhood and womanhood. And uh, we've been in this series for two weeks. We're going to stay in it for probably the next four or five weeks to come. And so excited this morning to talk to you a little bit about our roles as men and women uh, in the relationship of marriage that God's blessed us with. So before I do that, let me just say... Uh, hey we're a month into this year and uh, about uh, f- four weeks ago I talked about dreams and then Christian followed up with desires and so I hope you guys are doing well in the commitments that you made to the Lord and and following kind of that acrostic in in the dream I hope that you are finding great delight not only in the Lord but you're finding great delight in the way your year is going Um and I think today will be an, another opportunity for us to make some commitments um, as married people. Now, if you're visiting with us today and you're single, maybe you're a high school student. We've got a lot of the high school students over here to the left. And so let me just say a couple of things before, you know, you cut, you cut me off and you guys leave. And, and I say, ah, oh, man, they're talking about marriage today. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Um, in my experience Just working with youth and and then uh, being around Christians for the last 30 years of my life. um, As singles, uh, a lot of times you'll be placed in a situation uh, in someone's life who's married. And they'll come to you and you may be one of the loudest voices in their ear about scriptural marriage. And what their role is. In that marriage. And so today, singles, I hope that you can take some of these tools that we'll be talking about today, put them in your tool bag. And if you're in a situation like that where a lot of your friends may be married and you're not, but you find yourself talking to them a lot, maybe this can help you a little bit in guiding them. For those of you who are not um, planning to get married, um, maybe you can use this today as motivation for you not to be married. <laughs> and, and I say that kind of lightly, um, but I say that with all reverence and respect because that is a, that is a calling from God upon your life. And it's, it takes as much to be single as it does to be married. And so today, um, I, I trust that this uh, talk with the married folks today will resonate with you too as a single and so let me pray for us and then we'll get going father thank you for privilege to be a child of yours thank you this morning lord that because of your work in us those who follow you we have your spirit living and abiding in us so thank you for that precious gift May you speak through me this morning, Holy Spirit. If there's any sin in my heart and life that's unconfessed, may you forgive me of that. May these people see Jesus this morning. May I not get in the way of you, Lord. May your word speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so how we doing, our title today is Rocking the Rolls. And so we're going to be looking at specifically how the Bible lays out for women, what their role is in marriage, and then what man's role is in marriage. Um, Before we move on, uh, obviously I'm not from around these parts. I was raised in another part of the country. But the part of the country I'm in happens to be going to the Super Bowl next week. So... (laughs) I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to my Atlanta Falcons. All right. Oh, Falcons in marriage. Wow. Reminds me of a story. Reminds me of a story of this couple who their life dream was they would be able to go to the Super Bowl one day. And so they saved up all their money and Super Bowls come around, so they buy tickets and the big day's coming, and the man goes to the Super Bowl, and he's sitting in his seat, and um, the guy next to him, the fan next to him, he, he notices that he's by himself, and the seat's empty. And he doesn't say anything immediately. He just kind of watches the man waiting on somebody to come back. And after a while, nobody comes back, so the man kind of nudges the guy, and he says, Hey, he said, you know, glad you're here, but I noticed you got an empty seat next to you. He said, what, what's the deal? He said, well, he said, I'm glad you asked. He said, me and my wife, we this is our dream that we would one day be able to go to the Super Bowl. And he said, awesome, where is she? And he said, well, sorry, but, you know, she just died recently. And the guy was bummed out. He said, you know, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to, you know, cause bad memories or anything. He said, oh, no, it's all right. She died. And, and so... go on with the game, and he's thinking the whole time, wow, here's the biggest sporting event in the world, and this guy's got an empty seat next to him. Surely he's got friends, so he had to ask him. He said, sir, he said, sorry about this, but you mean in all of your friendships, you couldn't convince any of your friends to come today and to watch the Super Bowl? And the man looked back at him without missing a beat, and he said, they're all at her funeral. Okay, now we can get started. All right, let's recap. (laughs) Please, let's recap. Two weeks ago, Todd uh, introduced us to the series, and he introduced us to this word um, that we're going to talk about today. And the word is headship, or the head. And this word was assigned to men. And it says here, a headship is a distinct authority. Can't read over there. Entrusted to the man for the work of establishing order for people to flourish and the Father to be displayed. The authority given to the man is one of sacrificial leadership that gives of oneself so that others might flourish. So, if you remember in week one, does anybody remember what the key word that Todd said would be going throughout the series. Anybody want to score brownie points? Flourish. All right. So our, our idea this morning is, as husbands and as wives, how can we help our spouse flourish? And so there's the um, authority that's been given to the man as headship, uh, as the head. And then we looked at the other key word last week. That key word is helper. The Hebrew name Ezer, right? And it is assigned to the woman. In Genesis 2.18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Helper is the distinct submission entrusted to the woman for the work of establishing order for people to flourish and the son to be displayed. You're seeing that common word throughout, right? You're seeing glorify God, and you're seeing what? Flourish. Flourish. How can our roles, how can these distinct roles God's given to us help us flourish in our marriage relationship? And so, um, and then how do these roles as men and women work together? Uh, because they're of equal value, right? Each of us is created in God's image. We're image bearers of God, whether we're male or female. And so we have these equal values, and yet we have these distinct roles. And it's really going to come to bear in the marriage relationship. Christendom said it this way. He said, God didn't take the woman from Adam's head that he should rule over her, nor did he take take her from his feet that he should trample her, but from his side to be beside him, underneath his arm to receive his protection from the world. You see, the distinction in roles in no way alters the worth of a man or woman. Each is an image bearer of God, and therefore, they're equal in identity, but distinct in role and distinct in responsibility when it comes to marriage. Man is to work in creation, he's to exercise dominion, and he's to accomplish human flourishing. The woman is to help her husband in accomplishing the task of this human flourishing. Which is a huge task. So that's it. All done. You can go home now. I just covered it all, right? It works that well, don't it? I mean, it's like, oh, that's how it works. Great. Now we can all go. If you're married, your, mar- your marriage is fixed. Leave. See you next week, right? Well, we know it's not quite that easy, right? It's not quite that easy to be unique in who God's created you to be, right? And be equal in value, and yet you have these distinct roles that you got to follow. Well, why is that? Because of the fall, right? Because of our sin. See, sin corrupted this otherwise perfect relationship, and it was to carry out its purpose of glorifying God. And when sin entered in, Now, all of a sudden, instead of human flourishing, we started thinking about personal flourishing, right? Even going way back to Adam and Eve into the garden. Um, Now, instead of this perfect complementary relationship, now what we have in marriage, we have a competitive relationship. Remember Genesis 3 when, you know, it, it talked about Eve, right? And so now it's a competitive relationship, and this competitive relationship causes us to battle for position and control throughout our marriage. But there's great, great news. It doesn't have to be this way. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The Scriptures lay out for us clear instruction that, we'll, that if we will follow what the Word of God says, if we'll follow what, specifically this morning, Apostle, uh, Paul and uh, Apostle Peter talks about in the Word of God, then I think for us, uh, we'll be able to glorify God and we'll be able to help our family and our spouse flourish. So since I'm a southern gentleman, I'll throw the women, I mean, I'll start with the women and we'll talk about the wives. So, take your Bibles. Does everybody have Bibles? Totally forgot about that. Sorry about that, guys. Does everybody have Bibles? If you don't have Bibles, raise your hand. Also, if you don't have notes, raise your hands. We have notes this morning in paper form if you want to use them. Does Bible have Bibles? Okay, we're good to go? All right, Ephesians 5, beginning... In verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I didn't say that. Todd did say that a couple of weeks ago and last week. And Paul's saying it this week, but I didn't say that. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. There's so much there we will not begin to even touch what is there, but I, I just encourage you men to read that Uh, ...throughout this week. There's so much to gain from that. "...in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound. Yes, it is a profound mystery... That God would take two individuals and make them one flesh, isn't it? He said, but I'm not, but I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church, which is another mystery. That a perfect person would come for an imperfect people, his church, and die for us. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there it is, wives. Here's the question for you. How are you going to help your husband flourish? Okay? How are you going to help your husband flourish? Well, look at verse 22 again. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, did that kind of sound like nails on a chalkboard? For some of us? Okay. Um, let's, Let's think about this a minute in light of what, Todd has talked about in week one and week two. So we go back to the we go back to the word helper. How, wives, do you submit to your husbands? The helper is a distinct submission entrusted to the woman for the work of establishing order for people to flourish and the Son to be displayed. Specifically in Ephesians 5:22, submission is to Christ through the man. And so Submission doesn't violate a woman's personality. The Lord doesn't violate your personality as a woman by having you follow leadership. See, it's a complementary submission. It, it's not a competitive submission. That is so key today as we think about our relationships with our wives and the wives with our husbands. It's not a competitive, but it's a complementary Now, I know sin has entered in and has caused that to be blurred a little bit. But think of it in terms of where we're aiming for and we're aiming for our relationship, our marriage, to be complementary, not competitive. So before we kind of move forward with that, because this term, this word submission is so loaded uh, with good and bad connotations, you know, in our day today, let's just unpack it. Um, especially as it relates to marriage, and uh, give us an idea of what we're talking about. Let me first start with what submission is not. It's in your notes. I've got them listed there. But this is what submission is not. Submission is not putting your husband in place of Christ. It's not giving up independent thought and becoming intellectually stagnant. Submission is not letting your spiritual gifts lie dormant. Submission is not giving up all efforts to influence your husband. It's not being fearful of your husband. And it's not doing nothing to protect yourself from an unreasonable husband. You see, this is what submission is not. Now, before we get into what submission is, let me just kind of empathize with some of you and enter into maybe some of uh, your situations in your marriage right now. Uh, Because I, I know... Every situation out there is different. We're all unique. Our spouses are unique. And our circumstances are unique. And so today, I still want us to be encouraged, though, by the Scripture. And you look at what we read in Ephesians 5, and you go, oh, come on, Terry. That's for, you know, churchgoers. That's for do-gooders. That, that's, a, that's a standard that we'll never meet. And I, I can't submit to my husband. You, you don't know my husband. You, you don't know the things that have happened in our marriage over the years. So I, I want to empathize with you. I want to say, I, I kind of know where you're coming from. I can't tell you how to respond apart from how the Scriptures tell us to act in our marriage relationship. And as you, as a spouse, I can pray for you, but I can't really tell you how to respond. But the Word of God can teach you that. Um, and so before we go into submission, I just wanted to say, hey, I realize everybody's marriage is not the Ephesians 5 marriage. Even our marriage is, has this tension, you know, uh, I don't want to say consistently, but because I'm a sinful man, I bring consistency <laughs> to the tension of our marriage. Yeah, even me, I know. Um, and so I don't want you to lose hope. I don't want you to think, Terry, you're setting a bar standard too high. There's no way I can reach it. So stick with me, and uh, I want you to have hope in this. Um, see what Pete has to say about this. First Peter 3. Because I think he's going to kind of speak a little bit about this situation. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart within the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are... Her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So here's what submission is. It is to give honor and respect to your husband. These are in your notes too. It's a willing choice. Submission is a spiritual matter. If you you see there, it says, submitting unto the Lord as to your husband. It's a spiritual matter. Submission is. It's dedication to your husband. Submission is God's way, listen to this one, it's God's way of attaining and maintaining function and order in the home. And then submission is the best way to influence your husband. Let me give you a personal illustration on this. Sheila and I have been married for over 28 years, and we've had a few, just a couple. Of situations come up that we didn't really totally agree upon. Can you believe it? We didn't agree upon everything in our marriage. Um, and and what I watched, not early on, but as we continue to get growing our love for one another, I begin to see this submissive uh, response to me. This um, th- this sometimes humbly and um, loving response in submission. And it, it's happened in a lot of our situations that came up. Uh, it happened in big moves that we made. It happened in uh, career changes that we went through. It happened, you know, with our parents and, and with our family. Um, and in some of these, she was also very lovingly, and, and, but she also stated her case. She made her case to be known, right? Because her voice, because she's submitting to me, doesn't mean that she just is a doormat. No. God has given her a specific role to help me flourish. And in me flourishing, I have to have her companionship. I have to, She's my best friend. She's the one that God has given me that knows me more than any other person apart from him. And so in her submission, what she really does is she opens my heart's door to speak into. Here's a case in, where that happened, and that was when Elise was um, about six years old, our oldest daughter, and um, we were trying to get pregnant, and all of our friends were having babies and doing all that stuff, and so we thought, you know what, we'll, we'll give it uh, a chance, and we'll go, and you know, we'll see if there's anything medically wrong with us, why we can't. We ran all the tests, and you know, things were fine and we medically there was nothing wrong with either one of us and, and so um, we kept practicing which that was the first time in my life I really liked to practice. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but we were practicing. Did I say that? Wow. Uh, we were practicing and you know what? We, we really wanted the Lord's will in this. and I know her heart as a woman, she really wanted more children. And I was kind of okay either way, right? And so what, what happened is in our conversation up front, we didn't really think there of another option. And as the months passed and even the year, God began laying on her heart. What if God's called us to adopt? And so, but in her submission, she didn't demand, hey, Terry, go do all this. no. She just quietly, with the Lord, submitted to him, submitted to the Lord, put her plans before the Lord, and then said, if this is going to be, then you have to change my husband's heart. And it wasn't that I was against it, I just, I wasn't thinking about it. And through the next several months and years, God was speaking to her. He was directly speaking to my wife, showing her scripture, saying this is what we ought to do. And as she came, In in, in lovingly submission to me we said you know what I'm hearing you and God began to transform my heart God began to change the way I was thinking about how we were supposed to be parents and if we were supposed to have maybe not and within probably a year after that I began taking lead in our adoption process and that process alone has helped me flourish in so many ways. And when I look over and I see Elijah and I see Ella Grace and I see what God's done by giving us our son and our daughter and giving our oldest daughter a brother and a sister and I I watch Elijah and Ella Grace play together and I, I watch them interact at the house and I go, God, what a special gift that you've given to Sheila and I and to our church And their peers, and it was started with a heart of submission from my wife. So, wives, you see how that works? Okay. All right, good. So, wives, submit unto the Lord, and as you submit unto the Lord, you will help your husband flourish. Okay. Easy peasy, right, wives? We got it. You're good. Now, let's go on to the husbands. All right, husbands, this is going to be tough, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, so Todd introduced last week that term headship, right? That term, the head. Headship is distinct authority entrusted to the man for the work of establishing order for people to flourish and the father to be displayed. Any authority that the man exercised was not his, his, but God, but given by God to cause others to flourish. Let me read that again. I botched that. Any authority that the man exercised was not his, but given by God to cause others to flourish. So, husbands, here's our question. How do we help our wives flourish? There's another self-confession this morning. See, if I preach on marriage anymore, I'm telling you. (laughs) been in conviction for two weeks. Um, Here's another personal confession before we go into this. Um, through those 28 years of marriage, I, I'm pretty sad, man, I, I wish I was more sad, to say that most of the thoughts that I've had about flourishing were all about me flourishing. And it, it's kind of like this, if I flourish, then, you know, hey and everybody serves me and things are good in, in my world, then you know what? They're going to be good in your world. And so a lot of my thinking was very selfish through my marriage. It was, and, and even to this day, I have to die to myself. I have to fight against, hey, wait a minute. It's about me flourishing. Remember, honey? It's about you helping me flourish. And the reality is the Scripture is going to call the husband to a higher level. Because he's going to ask us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So it's a huge responsibility for us as husbands. Um, but we're not alone in this, right? As we just read in Ephesians 5, Jesus comes to our rescue. And I'm so glad that he came to my rescue. I'm so glad he comes to my rescue throughout every given day in my marriage relationship as I struggle with this Uh, headship and this authority and this leading my uh, wife well and this loving her. You see, two things are going on in this... um... Get to that. Okay. We'll get there in a minute. Let me go back. I don't want you to get ahead of me. Okay. So, two things are going on in this uh, verse when we have read in ephesians 5 Um, the first thing that's going on is that jesus is showing us that he loves us he says husbands love your wives how as christ loved the church if you are a born again follower of jesus christ guess what you're the church guess what god has demonstrated to us his love cool Okay, what's the other thing he's showing us? He's telling us, that's how you got to love your wife. You see that? He loves us, and he says, now go share that love in which I've given to you. So two things are going on here. It's like God is saying, okay, guys, (laughs) okay, it's a new game, and I want you to get this right because it's so important. And I'm not taking any chances about you guys getting it right or wrong So I'm going to send Jesus to be your example. I'm going to send my own son to live in front of you, husbands, so that when Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, you'll know what that looks like. And I'm glad he did because for me personally, when I got married, my mother and father divorced when I was eight. And so when I got married and the preacher kind of said, now you're, you know, you're going to lead your wife and you're going to be the husband and you're going to love her and all this, I, I thought, wow, what does that look like? I mean, my dad left my mom when I was eight years old. Mom didn't remarry until a year after Sheila and I got married. So I, I didn't have anything in my home giving me a model of what it should look like for a husband to love his wife. And then Sheila's parents were also divorced. And so she didn't really have a model of what it looked like for a husband to love his wife. So we enter into this marriage relationship, and we're, we're, we're depending upon our friends. And guess what? A lot of their parents were divorced, and a lot of their parents' marriage wasn't so hot. So we're going, how in the world do we know what this is supposed to look like? Well, Jesus has showed us what it's supposed to look like. And so there's no more excuse for us as husbands. It's right here in Scripture. But Jesus does more than just give us an example of how to love our wife, right? He's given us his love as the church so that from that love, we can love our wives. Here's what I mean by that. Everything Jesus does for the church, he does for you and he does for me. You being loved by Jesus is what empowers you to love your wife. I can't do it on my own strength. I can't do it with conjuring up all the love I have in me. I still consistently can't love my wife the way in which Christ loved the church. But he's empowered me through that love to do it. Um, And he wants me to grow into that love. Just like we as part of the church, we grow in his love for us. The longer we become believers, the more in love we should be with our Savior. So that's that's the relationship that He wants to have and He wants us to have in our marriage in our marriage. And so, husbands, on your notes, you're going to find three things that Scripture is going to ask you to be. The first one is to be a lover. Husbands, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Second thing Scripture is going to tell us to be, and it's in First Peter chapter 3, and verse 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We have to be a learner. We have to love her, and we have to learn her. Men, we have to know our wives if we're going to love them. We have to know our wives if we're going to do this third thing, and that's to lead them. To learn my wife, that means I have to spend time with her. That means I have to kind of watch how she responds and the things that she likes and the things she don't like. And as I learn her, I can even love her more. And then God asks us to lead her. A husband is called to lead. He's been given that authority. And so in that leadership, we, lead, we live and we love to make her flourish. You see, guys, just as submission was not a list of things, but it was a list of these things, so with leadership. Leadership is not a dictatorship. It's not about you being, you know, on your high horse all the time and your subjects bowing down to you. And you being the king. That's not what leadership is all about. It's not a dictatorship. Leadership is, though, modeled by Christ. And this, again, is such a gift that God's given to us through his scripture. He's given us a model of how to love our wife. And then he's given us a model of how to lead her. If you think about Jesus' leadership right throughout the scriptures... In the Gospels, starting in Matthew 20, 28, when he says, hey, this is a, kind of a defining statement that I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And you flip over to the Gospels of John, and you begin in chapter 10, and you start seeing all of these ways in which he was a good shepherd, in which he was that, that person of humanity that was weeping at his, best, at his friend's tomb when Lazarus died. You, you, you see him... Not depending upon even his strength as a Son of God, but depending upon the Holy Spirit. You see him model as he washes the disciples' feet. You see this Jesus laying down his life, leading the whole way as he's submitting to the authority of the Father. That that authority has been given to him so that he may lift him up and glorify his the Heavenly Father. So the model is there for us. And in, in uh, Philippians 2, we, we get more of that model. Jesus didn't count it something equal to be with God, but he humbled himself, took the form of a servant. And so as husbands, again, we have a model. I know we like to fix things, and so we don't like to read instructions, but we like to fix things. And so here, let's make sure that we're reading instructions before we try and fix anything. Okay? So... Husbands, here's the consequences real quick. When we fail to lead, if we refuse or fail to carry out our responsibilities of leadership, we force our wife to learn to live without us. Think about that. If we don't lead our wife well, we teach her to to learn to live without us. This kind of independence And isolation is not healthy for our marriage at all. The second thing, the second consequence is if we abuse our responsibilities, we will force her to either run or retaliate. Again, severe consequence. And we've seen it. Some of us have seen it in our own marriage. Some of us have seen it displayed within our family or our close friends. And so those are the consequences, men, if we don't adhere to what God's called us to do as husbands. So there it is. The husband and wife roles within marriage. Are you rocking the roles or are the roles rocking you? All right. So that's the question I want us to think about as we close. Because um, if you're sitting out there and you're going, wow, this this is heavy stuff. This this stuff has kind of not been going on in my marriage for a long time or maybe even this week. Uh, we all have these, well, we don't all. Some of us have these weeks where they're harder than others. And there's more tension between uh, husband and wife. And so, what do we do? What are some things that we can do practically uh, in our lives personally and then in our marriage relationship as a couple? So, I'm going to start with those that we need to do practically for ourselves, okay? Here's what you need to do as you leave here today. Maybe you even need to begin in the prayer room before we leave today. You need to recognize that you cannot do this on your own strength or your own wisdom. It's a great place to start. Secondly, you need to surrender to yourself. You need to consistently take the throne yourself off the throne of your life. And you need to put Christ on that throne three, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you constantly. Throughout Scripture, Jesus said over and over again, right? Walk by the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God lead you. Let the Spirit of God empower you. Men, I think this is a travesty within the church that the the Spirit of God has talked about a thing, or, or he's talking about visiting in and out where. This is a gift that God's given us as believers that we are His children. This is the inheritance that we've been given. That the Spirit of God is at work within us. That He can empower us to do supernatural things if we'll submit and surrender to Him. So depend upon the Holy Spirit. Every time I'm up here, you probably hear me say that. But that's what our spiritual journey is. That's, that in the Word of God is... It's the foundation that our faith is built from and our life results from. Deal with your sin in a timely manner. Give no foothold for the enemy. If there's sin in your marriage, if there's sin in your personal life, I've seen it too many times. If it goes unconfessed, we hide it. The more we hide it, the more deceit that is caused within that marriage relationship and and. Deceit is not healthy for our marriage relationship because, remember the mystery, we, too, become one flesh. And when we're hiding something from our spouse, we're not one flesh. We're two individuals. And so it divides. And then the enemy takes that sin, and the enemy can run with that sin in our life and wreck all kinds of havoc. Find encouragement from others. Can't do this on your own, men. Women, You need other women praying with you and encouraging you along the way. And then seek wisdom and grace from Scripture and other resources. So that's what we need to do as individuals when we we think about our role in marriage today. And then as couples, put together kind of six R's. You know, I'm kind of that guy that likes to have everything rhyme. So here's kind of six R's to help you on the journey. And this is what we'll close with. Rejoice and remember the good times. Let me go back and say this first. If you really want to work on your marriage and you're serious about having your marriage look like what Scripture is encouraging your marriage to look like, don't think it's going to come without a commitment. And to me, for men, commitment begins with your calendar. So, Put a time where you will meet with your wife, uninterrupted, no kids, you and her, and you guys get ready, go through the first slide that I put up there, and then as you meet, come prepared to walk through these things. But if you don't carve out time, if you're not purposeful in that, it will never happen. A week will go by, a month will go by, two months will go by, be purposeful in that. And then when you sit down with your spouse... Rejoice and remember the good times. Remember that it was God who brought you together. Remember that you, you had no idea this person that God has given us would be the one that you would marry and that you could love so much, that you could share your life with. Remember the good times. And then reestablish expectations. Throughout seasons in life, our expectations of our spouse will, may change. Go back. Reestablish new expectations resolve any lingering conflict, reject the lie that you can change your spouse and ask for forgiveness. That's a big one. Our spouse needs to understand that we've been trying to change them and we're relinquishing that right. We're giving it to God and ask for forgiveness for that. And then redefine the mission of your marriage. Some of us, we may be have shifted to living for ourselves. And we forgot that, no, God has brought us together to live for the kingdom and to display him through our marriage. And so we're not participating in in Matthew 28. We're not participating in the great commission and the great commandment as a couple. You may have to go back and redefine the mission of your marriage. And then recommit to being proactive in helping one another flourish. Billy, you can come up. So I know that's a lot of information this morning. I tried to come up with some ways at the end that would be very practical for us as we leave here as uh, a husband and a wife. And so uh, these are in your notes. They're also on the board. They're also going to be on our, what are we calling that? On our page? Yeah. Okay. Page that I talked about. Okay. On the page that Billy talked about uh, earlier in the service. So it will be out there. If any of you need prayer, and I know we all need prayer, uh, please come up while Billy's singing or come up after service and let us pray with you. Let us begin. You invite us in to begin this journey of making your marriage and making your spouse flourish for the glory of God. So as pastors and, and leaders of this church, we pray for you and your marriages every week because marriages are important to the identity of God. They're also important to the body of Christ. So the healthier they are, the better Jesus looks. And that's always a good thing. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the blessing of our spouses. Thank you for the blessing of your word that you would instruct us, that you would teach us, that you would give us all kinds of stuff that shapes us, that helps us to work on ourselves and that helps us to work on one another. Thank you for marriage. And I pray that you would be honored in the way in which we love our spouses and serve our spouses this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.